This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, the weekly podcast where your hosts Sophie and Tyler. Hey, how's it going? Take it in turns to recommend a movie and this week it is Tyler's turn. Yeah, uh, so this week I chose the 2005 lesbian classic Imagine Me and You, uh, written and directed by Ol Parker and starring Piper Perabo, Lena Headey and Giles himself, Anthony Stewart Head. Um, so I realise that this isn't a sort of typical pick for Christmas, uh, as it's not really a Christmas film. But for me, it always makes me feel really Christmassy, probably because it's like a happy feel-good film and everyone's bundled up because uh, it's set in damp and cold London. So the film is a typical rom-com with Luce and Rachel's eyes meeting across the room and falling for each other straight away with just a look. Uh, The issue is that that meet-cute happens at Rachel's wedding to someone else. Uh, So this film has all you want in a rom-com. There's great one-liners, conflict, the will-they-won't-be, and a whole lot of cheese. So this is a film that both Soph and I have seen many times before and also have definitely used a lot of the quotes from this. Mainly, you're a wanker number nine, which we say a ridiculous amount. Um, So I know, obviously, Soph, that you said you hadn't seen this film in a while. Was it just as cheesy and great as you remembered? Oh, definitely. I think it's one of those films which, in all fairness, is not that remarkable a film, except for the fact that it came out in 2005 at a time where every gay movie was about somebody being battered or killed or dying or they have AIDS or there's all about like the tragedy of queer life and nothing about just the love of queer life um and so even though it is basically rom-com with lesbians um it's no different than watching a whole host of like you know like 90s um british rom-coms that were really popular at the time yeah insert any name here it's going to be the same it's just a lesbian version of that and so it's not like the most remarkable film in terms of plot and things like that it's just the fact that it is about queerness or about somebody being a lesbian or bisexual or finding love with same-sex partner yeah that's what it's about and that is why i think so many um, lesbians, queer, women in particular, really love this film is because it's a happy one. They get, they stay together at the end, you know. No, Spoiler alert. I know, right? Um, nobody gets like, nobody, even like, no, nobody really gets that hurt in it either, you know. No. It's, it's, it's really comforting and easy to watch. It's a normal film. It doesn't have to be this big, grand piece of cinema it is just like a comfort watch that you can put on, which everybody wants that kind of film, um, whether you're straight, gay, whatever, you know? And so it's, it's, it kind of represents that, I think, for a whole community. And so whilst it's one of those films that it's, it's really weird because it, like, it holds a place in your heart and you love it, even though you can accept that it is pretty oatmeal and beige in many ways. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of substance to it. And if someone said, oh, like, oh, I really want to watch like a, a piece of lesbian cinema, this is not the film that I would tell them to watch. But it holds such a special place in so many people's hearts because, and I th- I'm pretty sure this was the first ever happy queer film that I ever saw. Even like, because around 
around the same time, I would have been watching things like Boys Don't Cry, Lost and Delirious, say. which again, Piper Perabo. I mean, you, you definitely made me watch a lot of traumatic gay stories. Because I would be like, oh, sweet. At least, you know, at one point they kiss or gently touch yeah. fingers. Or, oh my God, they're hot. And they kind of like each other, maybe. Yeah. If only for a bit of the yeah. movie. Or I've written it to myself as like, oh, I know that actually they're not into each other, but it, you see this one glance here that definitely sexual chemistry there. Or <laughs> the film isn't actually gay, but this person played a gay character in something else. And so we're going to watch it. We yeah. watch all of those films. Yes. Well, I mean, look at look at Piper Perabo. I saw her in Lost and Delirious before this. And so from then on, she was a queer icon to me. That was it. I was like, 100%, I will watch anything she's in. She is one of my gays. <laughs> Like, and then she did this film, which was actually a fucking happy mm. film. Uh, it just, it made me so happy. Like, obviously, we've got But I'm a Cheerleader, which is a happy film, but it's set in conversion it's, therapy. It's a happy film in terms of that it's it's comedy, but it's dark comedy. And although there's a happy ending for yeah. our protagonist, there's not a happy ending for everyone. And so it's a very different no. thing because it's, it's sat- that film is satirising something that's incredibly dark and traumatic whereas this is just like oh well it's a bit of a shame that she was married when she fell in love with another woman yeah especially like so her husband heck which her husband in the end like he the whole way through says that the reason he isn't doing what he wants to do is because he fell in love with Rach. that's the thing is um i notice it particularly this time there are so many like little things in this film that suggest that this marriage would never have worked out regardless of whether Rachel falls for somebody else, man or woman, you know, it, it it never would have worked out. So you've got Rachel at her wedding reception. Well, at her wedding, she looks at another woman in a kind of lusty way or kind of surprised way. I mean, it's Lena Headey. Why wouldn't you? Oh, it's such an iconic moment when, like, she's walking through the columns away, and Rachel's walking down the aisle, and they just they look at each other, and then they look back. It's like they've caught. A moment it is so iconic that's where lena Heedy should have should have shouted out i object like... or she could have shouted out you're waking up or not. <laughs> it would have no context in that moment but it would have been slightly sacrilegious in a church so i would have enjoyed it um, so there's that moment and then at the wedding wedding reception she's lost her wedding ring in the punch mm-hmm. so the fact that this marriage doesn't isn't going to stick the ring can't even stay on her finger not even for like a full three hours or whatever <laughs> like exactly then you have later in the film you had heck is uh, doesn't uh, he lies in his job and he seems it seems to be like quite a bad thing like they're they're lying to get money out of people it's almost equating that he's not that pure himself he does bad things to get what he wants or whatever it is and so Rachel lying to him about her feelings for another person well he's lying in his job to make money that nobody's perfect here so there's like things in there to suggest that he's not like some angel that's going being crushed for no reason um it's not that like he deserves to be cheated on or anything but you know he's just you don't you don't feel as bad for him because he's not this amazing person. They very much are more best friends. Yeah. Which they say numerous times throughout the film. They're too comfortable they with each other, friends, really. Which like and absolutely I would love to be married to someone who was my best friend. Like what an awesome fucking thing to be like be in. But they weren't they were best friends in a very different way to you would be with your spouse. That's from what way. we've seen. 
Exactly. To be honest. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then, uh, as you mentioned several times, he talks about how his dream is not to be in this corporate job that he hates where he's lying, but to travel around the world and to write about it. And the only reason he's not doing that is because he's with Luce. And uh, not yeah. Luce, sorry, <laughs> that would be a very different film. He's with Rachel. And so, again, it's like he is never going to be fulfilled in that marriage because he's not able to follow any of his dreams. And he's stuck in this job that yeah. he hates. And he's doing all of that to provide a lifestyle that he thinks is right and what they should have and what they should do. And maybe because that's the more kind of heteronormative thing that's expected of yes. them, especially as they've been in a relationship for a number of years by the time they get married. And he knows her family very well and all these sorts of things. And her family are very sort of straight-laced, heteronormative, like... Oh, they're almost too posh to function, seriously. It's yeah. it's a lot. but yeah. And we will get back to them because I kind of loved them. But... Uh, Me too. <laughs> the... Um, yeah, just this idea that's put through there. It's not all down to Rachel and the fact that she experiences attraction to somebody else before she's even fucking married, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> but right from the beginning, pretty much, um, it's kind of saying it's not just her fault that her heart wanders because his heart wanders, but just not for another person. It's for another life. Yeah. Um, and yeah. she can't even on the same day as her marriage um, manage to fully commit because she's looking at another woman and she is her ring is falling off. So there's there's yeah. lots of it's much cleverer than I realized I think. Yeah yeah because you watch it like the same way you watch any rom-com to be honest or I do I, I'm saying you but I do is where I watch it for just the feel good cheese factor mm. of it and it's not until you actually sit down and like analyze it that you realize there's so many like subliminal messages and like points all the way through like obviously you know the outcome of the majority of rom-coms. Yeah. Like, you don't go into watching a rom-com where you're like, will they or won't they? And this is you, a clear you one. You know they will. Like, well, it, well, that's true. You're waiting for someone to jump off a roof. But, like, <laughs> it's, like, got all of these clever little hints throughout the whole thing. And some of them yes, are very yeah. in your face. I never noticed it before because I must admit, whenever I watch a rom-com, I've always got my, my brain half switched off because it's very, they're usually very like, and they're meant to be comforting. So you're not, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, I'm going to watch this and not think for a bit and just enjoy. Yeah. Rom-coms are meant to be a brain break. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the whole point of them. It's a romance that you, that you supposedly want in life, even though a lot of it's very unrealistic. It's, it's that kind of over the top idealism. Well, which is fed to us from day one, because when you're a little kid, you're sat down in front of Disney movies. It's the, it's, the problem and the solution <laughs> in many ways isn't it it feeds us an idea of what you're supposed to have and then it um gives you unrealistic uh, expectations which are rarely ever met um and so to yeah. because of that you you then sit down to comfort watch the same thing that gave you those ideas in the first place yeah absolutely because your life doesn't have yeah. that so you're like well this is comforting yeah yeah it's it's like it's a fucking like vicious cycle, mm. but <laughs> it's a very comforting part of the cycle where you can just sit down and watch happiness and joy and mm. love. Like who doesn't want to fucking sit down? Whether you want all of that in your life or not, like I, I, by, by that I don't mean happiness, joy and love. I mean like whether you want the relationship or the like, cause I watch so much like shit that I don't want in my life, but it's comforting. And I'm I'm assuming you're exactly the same. Uh, being ace, I'm sure you're not sat there watching it being like, oh, I wish I had this. 
but like it's got that just that comfort in you can switch your brain off and just watch happiness on screen and a lot of the time we didn't get that in the queer movies we saw which is why i think this has always been one of my staples yeah and i think it has also for a lot of um people of certain age as well yeah so i don't know if it's it's as significant for younger people um as a like a a a key film a key feel-good film about queer romance or whatever um but for people maybe of our generation so we're in our early 30s um maybe even people slightly older it's going to have maybe more significance because it was pretty much all there was and now there are a lot more um kind of affirming films out there for young people to watch where as we said people don't die all the time (laughs) and i'm i'm gonna say something that I say quite often, representation matters. It does. Um, uh, and that's why I'm glad that um, this film refuses to acknowledge that there is anybody that lives in the UK, uh, particularly in London, that is not incredibly wealthy middle class. Because because everyone wants to be incredibly wealthy and middle class. You could run a flower shop which sells cactuses to lonely men and uh, you are okay. You're, you're set up with... Because Luce lives with her mum and I'm assuming... Does, does she? that mean she lives at home? I don't think... I didn't get the impression that she lived with her mum. I got the impression that she went to her mum's flat quite often. Maybe it was just that. Because I got the impression Luce had her own house, like her own flat or whatever. Well, probably, because you apparently you can be incredibly wealthy being a corner shop florist Absolutely. in London. Absolutely, and she didn't come from money because her mum... As much as her mum seems to be very middle class, she's not put. She's not portrayed as this super well off like the others. But she is still really well off. She's not as posh. Uh, one thing I really loved about actually all the parents is that they do have this very kind of cutthroat way of talking to each other which is very british and i do really love that that's kind of showcased a lot in this film some of the best lines in this film are the parents just saying these cutting british things yes that i fucking love there's one when we're talking about Lucy's mum um there's one thing where she says <laughs> Lucy says to her i wish you'd get a life and she just says yes i know you do yeah so the other the li- the the lines that I love from her as well is when Luce is telling her to start dating and she goes that that people her age are a bunch of coffin dodgers, which I use I use coffin dodgers all the yeah. time now. And then she also says dating at her age is like playing snooker with a rope. And I fucking love that line. I've said it so many times. <laughs> it, she's just savage. I loved it so much. But I also like that she was unwilling to bend to somebody else's will. She was, I mean, yeah. clearly she had depression of some sort, but um, she wasn't going to put herself out there for somebody else's benefit, only for her own. And um, yeah. I really like that at the beginning, she says that she has a like life and that that's fine for her. Because for me, being ace, um, I really liked the fact that she was just like, I'm happy with who I am. I don't need a love life. I have a like life. I have people that I like in my life and I'm happy with that. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, and this character is not asexual. She later goes out with somebody at the end of the story. So it's not that she's asexual herself. So even then, I just liked the idea of normalising, being okay with yourself and with your life, whether or not you have a romantic partner. Because quite frankly, 
that's probably going to, you know, allow you to be in the right space to actually find a romantic partner or a sexual partner, if that's what you want, because you're going to be looking for something that adds to your life, not that fills a void. And so I really liked for her that she was like, I'm happy with my life as it is. And I don't necessarily need anybody else. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that should be the whole point of finding love is if you want to, firstly, it shouldn't be the be all and end all, but if you want to find a romantic partner, it shouldn't be to fill a void. It shouldn't be to complete mm. you. It should be that the two of you like spending time together and elevate each other, not that you are like finding the missing puzzle piece, which is how oh, it's God, always yeah. shown. And it's like, nah, like you can be completely whole and happy by yourself, but we're fed all this bullshit that you have to, in order to be a happy, complete person, you have to find your missing Mm. puzzle piece. And it's like, nah, like work on yourself. If someone else comes into your life and elevates it and makes you happy and you make them happy, great. But that shouldn't be all of your goals. Like you've got to live live for yourself. And what I really liked is that Lisa's mum was very kind of, uh, self-deprecatingly savage, and um, <laughs> and Rachel's uh, mum, who is much more, they're much more kind of middle to upper class. They have money. Yeah. I mean, that. Have you seen their house in London? Fuck me. That house is worth millions. Millions. But then, so is Rachel and Hex. So you know. Yeah, that's um, true. But their house would be, it, it, it was like a bloody townhouse in the middle of London. It was ridiculous. So she comes from like generational wealth, yeah. uh, clearly. And God, so, I wish I was her. <laughs> like, oh God, I would love some money. Please, just send it my way. Um, so her mum is played by Celia Imry and her dad is played by Anthony Head. And they... Giles. Are, Giles from Buffy, of course. Um And I just love it because in particular, uh, her mum is so savage, but instead of being about herself, it's about other people. Like in some ways it's like, oh, it's awful that she uh, is not as nice to her husband as she could be. But then she's not even nice to her own, like what, eight year old daughter. Cause she literally said right at the beginning of the film, we get a sense of who she is as a character. Cause she says, oh God, would somebody please put a gag on my daughter? And I snapped, I I loved it so much cause it was so savage. I just think that that character added so much humour to the story that was needed because, let's face it, Rachel and Hacker are a little bit bland. Um, And so having these very British, savage, cutting um, relationships within families was really needed to give that kind of British flavour to the film. She is savage the whole way through. Like... And it make it does make me quite upset seeing the way that she treats her husband some of the time, like because he seems like such a sweetheart. Yes, he's a bit of a like bumbling old English Egypt, but like he seems like such a sweet man who genuinely mm. loves his family. And like even even things like at the wedding at the very beginning when um they're at the wedding reception and he's dancing, she wants to dance with him. And they start dancing and she says, keep your arms by your side. You're dancing. It's like dancing with a gibbon. Like she just automatically is just so cutting immediately to him. You just meet people like that, though, sometimes. I know certainly know people like that. And I know I've been a bit like that at certain phases in, uh, in my life. So 
you say phases i mean maybe it's just all the time but <laughs> oh yeah you can you can definitely be a complete cunt when i do it is through a really cutting remark it's never like a, a whole tirade of pulling someone down it would just be that i say something that's a little bit harsh but it will be quite succinct i think usually you definitely are much more cutting than i am like you're more sensitive than i am <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a fucking sensitive little bitch. Like, that's just like I always have been. But yeah, you definitely you definitely can be more cutting. It's a British quality. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. It's but yeah, I did like a lot of the time, like obviously, you know, later on in the film where he's saying he says to um his wife, he says that he uh knew from the beginning that he loved her more than she loved him. Yeah. And that if she ever met someone more suited to her she would leave him immediately he was like oh you know that's just the sacrifices that we make i guess she then tries to like be sensitive and kind towards him but obviously it's not in her nature to be like that so immediately the next second she cuts him back down again and like mocks him for him taking a different turn i think that i think that he knows what kind of person she is and that's part of the attraction for him to be honest is that she is as cutting as she is that she that that's the personality i never ever thought that there was any cracks in their relationship just because i mean rachel's got to be what early to mid 20s at least and um i would say probably then she's they're quite young and um and yet she's got like a, a sister who's like what, eight years old or whatever so like they're still in the bedroom every now and then at least aren't they so i kind of always felt like they even though they have this really antagonistic well it's not even antagonistic just this like this kind of harsher relationship this blunter relationship I didn't ever think that there wasn't love there because I think they just have different ways of expressing themselves which I think is more interesting uh, or a good contrast to have with basically everybody else like Rachel, Heck, Luce they were all generally a lot softer people and the way they talk to each other. And so having a contrast of a very different kind of relationship, I think gave uh, the film a bit more punch. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's it's like, it's nice to see the contrast and it can be definitely a way of showing love. Lots, lots of couples are like that where they show love or not even just couples, but people in general show love in ways of like being either self-deprecating or deprecating between each other or like antagonizing each other or a little bickering and stuff like that and i do i do like that they show the difference especially with like how sweet heck is to rach like when he goes to the florist for example when he goes to see loose to get flowers for rachel um and she says to him well why don't you ask her what's wrong and he's like oh no, that's too scary. Because what if there's something is? What if there is something wrong? And it's like again, it, that's him trying to be sweet and trying to just do the right thing. But it also shows a lack of communication on their end. Also, it's um, I think as we said earlier, they get they they have a very comfortable, possibly more platonic than romantic or sexual relationship, and so it's I think for him he's too comfortable in the relationship. And that's why he gets scared that it could break because maybe he doesn't really know much of his adult life without her being in it. 
Um, and that's a scary prospect. And also he might have to face his dreams, which sound like, you know, his dreams are not uh, small. They are to travel the world and to engage in different cultures and new experiences. And that can be a terrifying thing to do, especially to do by yourself. He is a white man of privilege, so I'm sure he'll be fine. But, um, you know, it takes a bit of balls to do that. And so acknowledging that his relationship may not be in a good place might be also his fear that he would have to do something about those dreams. He can't just keep talking about them. He'd actually have to keep, you know, do something about them if they broke up. Yeah, well, I mean, their entire adult life has been together from what, like, they've said, which is a terrifying thing. Like, my... My ex and I were together from when we were teenagers and we were together for a decade. So our entire adult lives were spent together. Like we did not know ourselves without being a couple as adults. Like, and so you do get into that place where you're like, oh, well, it's actually just easier. Whether or not you admit it to yourself at the time, you subconsciously are thinking it's just easier staying with what I know. If you look at me now compared to where I was when I was with her, I've started to actually find myself now as an adult, which maybe I would have done earlier. I'm not blaming her whatsoever, but like, because we just were together. So you just get into this comfortable state together. And the thought of not having that is so daunting and terrifying. And then on top of that, his stepping out of his comfort zone is not just staying in the same job, but leaving his wife. It's leaving everything he knows and traveling around the world by himself. That's terrifying. But one driving force that I do think would make me leave the country is to get away from Coop, which is one of it's his best friend. And he is such an insufferable twat. I'm just going to say it. Not only is he an insufferable twat, but he's such a fucking hypocrite, which I know is sort of the, for a very privileged rich white man is kind of the MO. But like, he just is so insufferable. And then I also thought it was really fucked up that Rach and Heck, who have met this beautiful florist, who's this lovely, kind, caring woman who steps in and looks after Rachel's little sister, answers all of her questions questions that her mum is just like oh no gag the baby we don't want to hear anything from the kid and Rach steps in and is oh sorry Luce steps in and is like oh you know there's no such thing it is that you can't have an immo- like a movable object and an unstoppable force and like she answers all these questions and steps in and she's just great person and then they're like I know who she should hook up with this misogynistic twat who can't keep his dick out of everyone well that's the thing he's 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 this stereotype of a man who just tries to have it on with everyone you know he he just tries every single person with the hope that one person would want to sleep with him and I think for Heck and Rachel weirdly they kind of seem well Coop has expressed his interest in her in Luce but I think also they think oh we can be friends with you you can be in our friendship group if you're in a relationship with one of our friends not just as an extra friend. Now, little does Heck know is that she actually kind of almost, she basically breaks up the group by having a relationship with Rachel. So it kind of works out in the end. It's not just how they thought it was going to be. But Coop was just so cringy. And I think a lot of um, women and AFAB people have experienced this kind of unwanted sexual attention from men and uh, the un- how uncomfortable 
that can make you feel, especially when that person is not taking no for an answer or is relentless in in the way that they are pursuing you when you are not interested. And watching his behavior and the fact that she literally says, I'm a lesbian, and he sees that as a challenge rather than just going, oh, okay, you're definitely not for me then because we are not connecting in any way there. Um, he sees that as a challenge and that it's hot rather than actually respecting her and her identity. Um, and it's just, again, it's, I know I've met these men. I've met these Same. people and they are insufferable and they are dangerous because they don't say always take no for an answer or they make uh, particularly women and AFAB people feel um, really uncomfortable and unsafe at times because they yeah. think are only thinking about themselves and what they want and not about the other person. And so him as a character, I wish he wasn't in the movie because I hate him so much. And what makes it even worse is at the end when Heck has found out that Luce and Rachel are, are getting it on, um, has to be, is suddenly he is this moral compass when he is the most immoral character in the whole fucking film. And it infuriates me that he gets to have a go at Luce um, about having yeah. an affair with a married woman when he's been trying to stick his wick in everyone. Yes, absolutely. It it really that's the bit of this movie that pisses me off the most is that he comes in and thinks he has the moral high ground. Mm. Like and absolutely, if you want to sleep around, there is nothing wrong with that. I don't like that Heck and Rachel try to make Coop settle down because that's not what he wanted. Mm. However, no means no. I'm a lesbian means no. <laughs> like there is no like and he's like fuck me if i'm wrong but i think you want to kiss me like neither of those are options off. you are wrong and i don't want to fuck you <laughs> yeah like it's just fuck off like if you you want to like sleep around go ahead go get your slut era on and fucking more like go for it apps are fucking lootly that's great everyone should be able to do that if they want but only with other people that want to do yeah. that with them like, consent is fucking important. And don't be a creep. Don't be fucking leering over people and trying to force them into it. For example, he has one of the most romantic, in my opinion, romantic moves. Like, if I was dating a florist and wanted to take her out for lunch and I phoned in a delivery to a restaurant for her to deliver flowers to me, I'm like, that's quite cute. That's really sweet. The fact that she turns up and it's him... It's just creepy. Take no for an answer. If they had been flirting and she had shown some interest in him, that's a really cute move. But because she's repeatedly exactly. said no to him and said, I'm a lesbian, um, it's less uh, romantic and more creepy and stalky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that would have that would have been so cute. Like that move, if I saw that in another like setting... I would have, I would melt. I'd be like, that is the cutest, most romantic thing. The fact that she turns up with the flowers and he sat there basically saying, sit on my cock. I'm like, are you fucking kidding if me? They, they could have made this so much better. Rachel had been searching for a reason to see her. And she was like, well, I'm going to get her to send me some flowers. And I'll just pretend it's from somebody else. I'll pretend that my mum sent me some flowers and Luce turns up on my door and then I invite her in for a cup of tea. That's cute. That's cute. Oh, stop it. You're melting me. See, I immediately... 
I wish that everyone listening could see the smile on my face right now. I just it's cute because <laughs> Rachel has never been lecherous towards Luce before this moment. And so therefore it's a cute right. moment where at the very least they're going to be friends maybe and it could lead to something more. Um, you know, yeah. that's cute. And there's a similar thing that happens when she goes into the florists. Uh, Rachel goes into the florist later on and they have this kind of, they start having this steamy moment on a load of roses. On literally a bed of roses. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, I've I've got a thorn in my bum. And I'm like, oh, it's so cute. Like, it's, I fucking love that scene, which is then interrupted by her. Can I say, this is going to be me analysing in the moment, overanalyzing in the moment, is the thorn in her bum meant to be her morals? <laughs> Going, this is wrong. I haven't broken up with my husband yet. But wasn't isn't the thorn in um, Luce's bum? Well, then maybe it's Luce who's being like, I shouldn't be doing this with a married woman. So you're saying the thorn in her bum is heck? <laughs> yes, it's her moral compass. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. But also... I love um, overanalyzing films. See, for me, the bit with that... I, like, I love that whole scene. I think it's so cute until Heck turns up. But I'm just always like, oh my God, do you know how much flowers cost? Why are Extravagant. you destroying all of her fucking stock? And I realise that that's a ridiculous thing to be thinking about in this big moment of like the two women that I want to get together in this film finally having their moment and hooking up. And I'm like, oh, that's an expensive fuck. Like... <laughs> Uncomfortable too, isn't it? Yeah. But it's just then like, literally oh. on a bed of roses. Which is really, it's it's really cute. Like, it mm. really is cute. Now, because we are talking about the cute moments of this film, let's also talk about when um, Rachel and Luce go to a football match. And this is where we get the iconic, most romantic saying ever. You're a wanker number nine. You cannot beat that for a romantic saying. Like, that's just the pinnacle of romance. Involving so many British stuff, like things in there. You're at a football match. You're being um, vulgar towards the players, you know, and, you know, she's teaching her how to belt from her, like, from her stomach all the way out so that she can project. And this is a cute moment here because it does mean a bit of touchy-feely oh she's behind her and she's reaching around and touching her stomach and going breathe from here and the fact that the fact that rach goes like uh loose is like oh can you feel this where my hand is and rach is like maybe if you put both of them there oh oh so you have this, but then later we get the callback at the moment where basically Luce has decided, right, she's off skis, she's going abroad, I think. Um, and Heck and yeah. Rachel have already like had their little um chat and decided they're not they're not gonna be together. They which is another callback to the immovable force. Exactly. Um and we uh basically Rachel has has been talking about all of this with her family. Uh they are surprised but on board. Um and uh I love the fact that basically it's like a fucking school trip here. Everyone gets in the bloody car apart from the small child. Um and off they go. They of course they're getting stuck in traffic because we're in fucking London, aren't we, mate? I'm surprised they got as far as they did. Right. And so Luce <laughs> is in the taxi up ahead. They're in the car further back and Rachel realizes that the only way to be able to communicate with her because apparently they don't have phones. Um 
is to get up. Well, it's 2005. Your Nokia 3310 might not have been charged. That is true. Maybe Luce was playing Snake <laughs> all the way there and it <laughs> ran out of charge. You never know. Um, or maybe they're like, shit, it's Paisy Girl. I haven't got any credits. Well, fucking 10p for a text message. You can fuck off. <laughs> She's like, fuck, I wrote a massive text, like, apologising to heck, and now I've got no credit left. Jesus. Um, so I'm going to get on top of this taxi... Uh, or this car or whatever and the only way that she's going to know that it's me is to shout out you're a wanker number nine <laughs> yeah because because the shouting loose wasn't working but as soon as she mm. shouted out you're a wanker number nine loose's ears pricked up she got out of the cab and then they have that beautiful running towards each other moment oh She's like, I am a wanker number nine. Yeah. Thank you very much. But in fairness, I've actually seen videos of people doing this in public, which is something that we've always said about doing, where if you think that someone else is queer, shout that out to see if they'll turn around, because the ones that turn oh. around are definitely queer. Old and queer, yes. Yeah, old and queer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you need to Geriatric the... lesbians and bisexual women. <laughs> the zipper frame and the wanker number nine. You're like, yes, my people. <laughs> Um, I was like, you were so young. <laughs> Do you remember our youth? <laughs> exactly. There, also, there is some very much dating, uh, like things that date this film, like when uh, after the football match, where. Rach is like, oh, what do you want to do now? And Lucy's like, I feel like dancing, which also the way they say it makes me so, it makes me cringe, even though it's how I say it, just because I'm not used to hearing English accents in films. So they're like, dancing! And I'm like, oh, Jesus! (laughs) And then so she's like, stop, I know where to go, and takes her to the arcade and they go on the dance machine thing. Yes, I saw this, I was like, that's so 2000s, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it was just, it made me smile. It makes me smile every time. Also made me nostalgic. And this is such a reach. But right at the beginning of the film, she gets out of the, the taxi to go to the toilets in McDonald's. And I have not seen a beige McDonald's for years. Because now they're all like lime green and shit. They did like a refurb of them That's all. So true. Like 10, 15 years ago. And seeing this kind of creamy beige McDonald's, I was like, my youth. Yeah, oh, you're so right. Also, the fact the toilets were open and clean enough for a bride to go in. I mean, I, if I was in a bridal gown, I would not be going to a McDonald's toilet. But I just, it just got me in the feels. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm nostalgic about McDonald's. There's this, like, as much as this film, things like that are dated, I still think it holds the fuck up with, like, every other rom com. Like, but then I suppose I watch rom coms from the 90s quite often as well. Like, I love a good, feel good shove on a Sandra Bullock movie. And away we go, you know? Yeah, I would watch her do anything. Sandy B. Love her. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what else to say about this film. It is a classic. I do have I do have a thing, uh, a point when they are walking down. And this is just, it's not a big deal. It's not a big point. It just, to me, makes, it gets me right in the fields every time where they're talking about what do the different rose, different flowers mean. And the main one that they talk about is uh, Rachel's favourite flower. And Rachel's fl- favourite flower is the lily. And she's like, oh, no, you don't want to, you don't want me to tell you what that means. And she's like, oh, go on, tell me. And she says, the lily means I dare you to love me. 
oh, it gets me every fucking time because it's so fitting for their relationship. It's really sweet, but also when she said that, I felt like it would have been more cutting to be like, you're a basic white bitch. I mean, that is the scientific meaning behind the lily. (laughs) That's what the Latin means. You're a basic white bitch. (laughs) But yours is more romantic, so let's go with that. (laughs) Also, that is kind of fitting for the two of us. I'm not calling you a basic white bitch, just so you know. But <laughs> Oh, I am. Don't worry about it. I don't really know what else to say about this film, except don't go in with high expectations of it being an amazing film. But it is a good film and it is a happy film for lesbians, particularly lesbians of a certain age. So <laughs> I think it's important. Legacy, it has an important legacy as being one of those early films that was a positive um portrayal of what it means for same-sex love and attraction and that's really really important even if it's not the most amazing film I do think that's why so many queer people end up watching this film and why it still has such a place in the queer community is because they you know it was so important for like a generation of people and it's still an example of you know a comfort rom-com where there's a happy ending and to be honest if heterosexual rom-coms are rarely good then I don't think that it's fair to have a queer one that's good either so (laughs) I feel like this film is a good representation of the genre it is it is a very stereotypical rom-com and everyone always says oh it's the stereotypical rom-com with a twist and that twist is that it's queer but it is just a fucking stereotypical rom-com and there's nothing wrong with that no and it is a very stereotypical english rom-com yeah saying that as well because it's got it's got some great one-liners it's got like and i we've missed off some of my favorite quotes on this that i i will definitely add in some of the uh the quotes at the end here because i just there's just some fucking epic ones like even one of my favourites is three cheers for my husband, as much use as a fart in a jam jar. Yes. Like, that's so English. Yes, it is. Like, that is the pinnacle of, like, being English is saying stupid shit like that in a very cutting way. 100%. Yeah, I just, I fucking love this so much. I love this film. It's cheesy as fuck. It's not, it's not fucking peak cinema. But there's great one-liners, which I still use to this day. And there's the acting on, like, in general is very good. There are some terrible bits. For example... Mountie Good is a wet egg. Yes, that... Shockingly enough, he was my example. Um, there's a bit where he's up on the roof crying when... God. Luce, when Rachel's little sister goes to check on him. Yes. And not only is it creepy because he says oh, I should have married you. That's creepy. Which, she's a child. Like, fuck off. But also, uh, he's crying on the roof. There is not a single tear and there is no emotion. He's such a bad actor. It's And I feel okay saying that because he's incredibly successful and wealthy. uh, But I've never seen him in anything that I thought he was particularly good in. No, I don't think I've seen him in in much, in fairness. Chasing Lindsay with a stickle in my house as a teenager. Look... Mandy, darling, Mandy Moore. I will watch anything, Mandy Moore, as you well know. Um, oh my god! Earlier, uh, I was online and uh, Candy popped up. What a song! The I love overacting it. in that video just did me in. It was amazing. Her lip syncing in that video 
where you like her tongue sticks out anytime she's saying a word. Like, well, she is so... the queen of over enunciation. But she's such a talented actor. Like she is fucking talented. Oh, I love her. But she definitely did that teen, almost like Disney style, like era you know like back in the day with the like miley cyrus and why can't i think of a single fucking disney person uh hillary duff thank you thank you yes oh my god oh <laughs> love her and love mandy Moore. but yeah i look matthew's just not not great but then that's not surprising that we don't like the male lead in a queer rom-com so <laughs> a, a queer yeah, women look, rom-com yes okay fair enough yeah maybe it's not his fault <laughs> I think it still is a bit. Yeah, like I can fake cry better than that. Yeah, I think one thing that I definitely want to leave this um, episode having got off my chest, um, which I was very annoyed that it was never answered actually in the film, is that yes, penguins do in fact have knees. Yeah, why was that never answered? I don't know, but I did look it up and now you know. So anyone who's seen this film and never felt compelled to find the answer, now you know. Also, have you seen a have you seen a penguin skeleton? They are fascinating. And it like it makes you question other animals. Like I saw a thing questioning dinosaur skeletons next to a penguin skeleton because their necks are so fucking long, but it they just look like one big like blob drop when they've got all of their feathers and blubber and fat or whatever they have over them. It's fascinating to see. You should look at everyone. Look up a penguin skeleton. Firstly, see their knees. And then... <laughs> I didn't think we were going to end here. I mean, I knew I was going to talk about penguins, but I didn't think we were going to the macabre end of looking at their skeletons. But uh, I'm pleased and excited. Oh, no, but you can see them. You can see it as an x-ray. Like, it doesn't have to be a dead skeleton. Like, it can be an x-ray. That's fine. So it's not macabre. It's just interesting. And I have to loop in dinosaurs somehow. Oh, hell, you always do, don't you? <laughs> anyway, um, so also, we have done this as a Christmas episode. And as you said at the beginning, it is a dubious Christmas pick. But it is set in a very kind of autumnal period. Um, it's set around, it must be at least no, like October, November, because they have... It's definitely it's definitely November and further into the Christmas era because they go to the fireworks night, which over is, remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. So exactly. they go to Guy Fawkes, um, yeah, bonfire night. And um, so obviously it is a wintry film. Um, so that counts as much as look. We had to, we've had to wait until really the last couple of years to get a proper queer Christmas film. So we will take whatever we can. And we used most of them up last year. <laughs> we took up a lot of them last year. Yes. <laughs> so uh, this will have to do. I'm afraid. Um, we're scrounging about trying to find films set roughly in autumnal time um, and Dolly Parton films uh, but it all counts so it's fine. <laughs> and and as I said at the beginning this film does make me feel Christmassy like I, as yeah. much as I've definitely watched this in all seasons it does feel like the sort of film to curl up on the couch under a blanket and like have a nice hot toddy or a hot chocolate or whatever it is. I personally had a beer which is not as Christmassy but whatever. Uh, and just snuggle up and watch this and feel good afterwards, you know? Feel cosy. I think that it's it's the kind of film where you can definitely watch it any time of the year, but certainly at Christmas or uh, in the autumn, just because of the fact that there is... I don't think there's ever a sun in the, the sun in the sky. So it's very bleak, no. um, which makes you get that kind of wintry feel. 
So <laughs> absolutely, as I've said numerous times, there are amazing, funny one-liners, which for me always actually—I know this sounds ridiculous—it does make me feel like, like Christmas. Because my family growing up was very much when we all get together, there's definitely going to be some digs thrown at each other. There's definitely going to be some sly, un, like under your breath comments thrown around. And it very much feels the same as this. Like for, at one point they say, oh, sweet shit in a bucket. What's wrong with you? And it just makes me feel at home. You were, you know, stuck abroad at Christmas. You could watch this and feel like you were culturally you know twinned with the uk this film will bully you as much as your family exactly and then you'll be like oh i feel traumatized and i feel welcomed thank you um but a happy ending yeah so it's it's a a good film to watch as long as we ignore the actual end of the film which annoys me every time it should not end on matthew or heck it should end on the point of the film. It should end on them in the park. Yes, because that's such a cute fucking ending in a beautiful setting on the bench and the whole point is the two of them. They're the whole film. The rest are side characters. Yeah, instead we've got this girl on a plane getting a wide on for Matthew Good and he's winking at the camera like a creep. It's like, we didn't need this. Did not need this. Exactly. We didn't need that. Which is when you can be like, oh, you can tell this was written by a man. I mean, you can tell numerous times throughout but you know just why end on him he's not the protagonist of this story i really didn't give a shit what happened to him either so no as much as as much as it's good in the sense that you're like oh well loose and rach didn't ruin this man's life by falling in love because that's also a lot of the time how it's shown like oh you you broke this poor man by your weird lesbian love, you know? So at least it wasn't shown like that, but it should not have ended on him. And there shouldn't have been a breaking the fourth wall wink to the camera. It did not fit the film. It felt weird. It felt contrived. And I didn't like it. No, it wasn't my favourite part of the film. But hey, it's a good film to watch. If you haven't seen it before, then definitely it's worth putting on for a nice, cosy watch. And if you have seen it before because you're a geriatric lesbian or queer person like we are, then uh, go at it. Have a great time. Absolutely. <laughs> and just before I ask you what your choice of film is next week, uh, I am just going to do one last quote from uh, Lucy's mother. And that's Cooper, that trollop, he'd shag an open wound. And I thought that was a beautiful way to finish a Christmas movie. Celia's <laughs> memory has the best lines. Honestly, doesn't she just? I mean, pretty much all the quotes you've just wedged in at the end here have been her lines. Oh, well, there's, I've got, like, honestly, the amount of quotes from this film that I genuinely use all the time is just ridiculous. Like, as much use as a fart in a jam jar, I have used so many times. Like, it's just, it's great. And, like, I've said to my mum numerous times, like, oh, coffin dodgers, and, like, oh, like, playing snooker with a rope. Like, it's just, like in my fucking vocabulary now like that's just part of who i am because i'm a geriatric and grew up watching this film i was gonna say i think if you if you grow up watching a film and it means a lot to you when you're at a very impressionable age i think those things will stick with you more oh yeah absolutely well you you have some fucking great quotes from films that you've watched growing up 
half of them I'm like, huh? I was going to say, are you talking about the fact that I'm always quoting things and you're looking at me with a vacant stare where I'm like, how can you not understand the 1960s parent trap? It's you. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. But when you say I don't understand, I think you mean everyone <laughs> looks at you with that Some blank. people know what I'm on about. Some people know. You know what? This is it is the bane of my existence, though, because the amount of times when I'm like texting with somebody and I want to send uh, like a gif or something of a quote from a movie because that's the quote in my head and I can't find the fucking quote. And then I realise, oh, no, I'm weird. I'm the only one that remembers this line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are. Uh, maybe it is a problem. Firstly, I think I think you should start making your own gifts. I think that would be that's the way forward. And... I also think that then you would have to explain them afterwards because <laughs> all of us would be like, huh? But I mean, it's the same with me. Like, although uh, at least with a lot of my quotes, they make sense, even if they're not, if, even if you don't get where they come from. One thing is, is that you target my vulnerability here by putting on films that you know that I will quote the shit out of and make me drink every time that oh, I quote them. No, firstly, the last time that happened, it was your your idea to do the drinking game it's not my fault that you know every line in she's the man <laughs> it's classic i'm shit here i'm cultured there is <laughs> no one else is denying that it is not top tier movie but when myself and gems are sat there and we are sober and you <laughs> you're hammered because you know every line it just makes for a fun evening. We cover that on the podcast at some point because it's a great film. I still holds up, um, but and you know, ever since watching that Sandy B film, I've got a soft spot for Channing Tatum. Exactly. So I'm totally in. Um, you mean the Lost City? What a That's classic! Uh, you know every every film that she's in is just oh, you know that Sandy B film. <laughs> I know. And don't worry, we will be getting to a Sandra Bullock Christmas film, uh, but not next week. It'll be the week following because next week we are going to be looking at uh, Falling for Christmas, which is a new Netflix film starring Lindsay Lohan. We are uh, beyond excited to see her coming back. I don't care how shit this 100%. film's probably going to be. I'm going to love it anyway because she looks like she's just hamming it up and having a great time. And it's Christmas. Also... Again, with us being geriatrics, Lindsay Lohan was there for us when we were in our youth. Yes. So we have to support uh, her now. I may love the 1960s parent trap, but I love the 1990s one just as much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally down for Lindsay Lohan. Plus, she's a queer icon. Everyone remembers the her and Samantha Ronson like relationship, or is that just me? Just as you were saying that, I was like, queer icon. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch. Then you said about uh, the Samantha Ronson. I was like, I forgot about that. Jeez. <laughs> For me, that was uh, that was a huge turning point in my life. So I'm like, yes, go Queens. Mainstream. So exactly. It was like visible. Yeah. At a time that was impressionable for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fucking love it. I'm always down for a Lindsay Lohan movie. I'm excited to, to watch it because even if it's shit, I know it's going to be Christmassy and um, I know I'll probably love Lindsay Lohan because she's actually a great actress. Like she has her moments where it's like, is that Lindsay or is that the actual character? But uh, she is very good at emoting a lot of the time. So I'm hoping that it's going to be an enjoyable film. I'm totally down to watch it. I can't wait. I'm glad you chose it. Because, I mean, let's face it, I would have watched it either way, but at least this way I'm like, mm, it's for the podcast. <laughs> I would have put it I would have put it on my watch list and then procrastinated because I'm awful at things like this. And I would have watched it in about four years' time when I finally got around to watching it. That's actually true because the first Dolly film, 
Dolly Christmas film I watched was the one you suggested last week, whereas last year you suggested some, and I went, oh, on my list straight away. Yeah. Still haven't watched them. So, you know. I've been watching so many Dolly Christmas specials. It has been a thrill. I love it. Um, Well, also, (laughs) keep an eye out on our Instagram, folks, uh, which is Heavenly Features Pod, uh, because Soph has created a new top of our tree, uh, which we will be putting up very soon. Uh, We are slightly late putting it up. But uh, she'll be be bringing that round and we'll be putting it up very soon because we have chosen the queen, the angel, the god, Dolly Parton as the top of our tree. She has to be. She is um she is by my Christmas angel this year for sure. I've watched so many Christmas specials of her. So I'm looking forward to her seeing her on top of the tree as well. So please do head over to uh, our Instagram, Heavenly Features Pod. Um come say hello to us over there. Maybe give us some film recommendations, especially Christmas film recommendations and especially queer Christmas film recommendations. I would love to hear them. Um, And also you can check us out on 18 Maiden Lane Productions. Um, You can look at the website there. There's a whole page about the podcast on there. Um, And also there is an Instagram for that as well. Absolutely. Uh, So make sure to like and subscribe and we will see you next week with some Lindsay Lohan fun. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram at Heavenly Features Pod. You can also email us at heavenlyfeaturespod at gmail.com. And you can also find us at 18maidenlane.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions.